The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street. Here is your top five at five. Stocks hoping to keep the win streak alive with the S&P looking at its best week since late 2020. But futures, they are lower. We are following new developments in Ukraine and reports of more bombing by Putin in two key cities. We are live on the ground. That war raising more questions around Congress's ability to invest around intel. The lawmakers making money off geopolitical tensions. Some real March madness for online gamblers as DraftKings suffers an outage during the basketball tournament. And on this Opportunity Friday here on WEX, your exclusive insider buying segment hitting a stock with a very interesting story and a big time buy to match. It is Friday, March 18th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Happy Friday. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day, and they're not setting them up that well. Stock futures, they are lower across the board right now, with all the major indexes down about the same, about four-tenths of 1%. Now, despite today's potential pullback, still a long way to go, a very solid week for equities so far. The Dow is up over 4.5%. The S&P 500 up nearly 5%. Technology doing even better with the NASDAQ up 6%. Now, investors, all you out there, you could use the good news. According to J.P. Morgan, this is now the fifth worst start to a year for the S&P 500, going all the way back to 1927. Obviously, this week helps. But it has still been a very rough year coming into this morning. Let's take a look at the bond market. Bond yields, they are above 2% still. We'll see if they stay there. The 10-year yields at about 2.1%. And also get a check on oil. After dropping for much of the last week, prices bounced back yesterday. And they are rising again this morning. Not by a lot, but up about 75 cents a barrel to 103.72 here. That on both dimming peace talk prospects between Ukraine and Russia and just continued supply down, demand up. All right, let's get a check down your worldwide markets. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom. She's got a look at the early European trade, including what has been another wild morning for nickel. Rosanna, what is going on with the markets That's- and with nickel? That is right, Brian. It has been wild. I'll get to nickel in just a minute, but let's take a look at the equities markets, which are a little bit underwater this morning, not inheriting much of a positive lead from Asia. We're down on the CAC of 40 and the DAX, Germany and France, a piece around half a percent in the red. The FTSE 100, meanwhile, just under a quarter of a percent down. Don't forget the Bank of England did its third consecutive rate hike rise yesterday, taking us to 0.75 percent. That's pre-pandemic levels, but just not a lot of positivity in Europe this morning. Italy, the 
the outperformer. Let's give you a look at who the gainers and losers are, because it's an interesting uh, sector picture. When you consider that basic resources is actually six-tenths of a percent up, it's China exposed. So this Beijing financial stimulus may be playing into this. M- meanwhile, down on the bottom end, oil and gas, three-tenths of a percent down. But nickel, really the story of the moment here in London. It's open trade today. They've set a new up-down limit of 12%. You might remember it was 8% on Thursday. It was 5% on Wednesday. Well, straight after opening, nickel hit its limit down of 12%, meaning it's trading just under $37,000 a tonne. And actually, it's quite thin volume trading this morning because many traders out there are waiting until it hits that Shanghai Futures Exchange price of around $34,000 a tonne, Brian. Wow. I mean, look at the the chart. I know it sounds kind of, I mean, we're looking at, well, we were looking at the chart. It spikes up and then it comes back down. Rosanna, any indication, uh, there we go, thank you, of when this market, which is crucial to so many things like steel Mm. and electric car batteries, of when this market is going to return to any semblance of normalcy? What I'm hearing at the moment, uh, Brian, is that people are just waiting until it hits that China parity level. So the Shanghai Futures Exchange, where it's traded widely, some uh, traders are saying, should we be moving some of this trade over to China? But it's not that straightforward. Of course, China has its own regulations, rules. It's a trickier market to enter. So until it hits that $34,000 mark, you're probably just going to see it keep edging down in this limited fashion. And a reminder, the reason why we're talking about it is it went north of $100,000 a ton just a week ago, then trade was suspended. So the LME has created direct intervention here to try and steady this market. The last open outcry trading floor in uh, London. I know you know it, Brian. I'm a big fan of the LME. I think a lot of people were big fans of the LME, Rosanna. We'll see how many people are big fans after they get this retrading again. Nickel, uh, never been in more focus. Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much. All right, now to the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Reports surfacing of explosions and smoke now in northern parts of the capital of Kiev. Meantime, Lviv's mayor reporting that several missiles hit an airplane maintenance plant in that city in the far west of the country. It destroyed the building. Thankfully, there are no reports of casualties. Here in the U.S., President Biden is expected to turn up the pressure on China over any potential support of Russia. The president and Chinese President Xi Jinping are set to speak at 9 a.m. Eastern this morning. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken saying that Biden will make clear to President Xi that China, quote, will bear responsibility for any actions it takes to support Russia's aggression. Also on Capitol Hill, the House passing a bill to suspend normal trade relations with Russia in a push to further isolate its economy. The bill, which revokes Russia's most favored nation status in the World Trade Organization, paves the way for the president to introduce higher tariffs on Russian goods. Meanwhile, J.P. Morgan Chase has reportedly processed funds from Russia to cover a bond interest payment as Moscow seeks to avoid its first external bond default in a century. According to Bloomberg, JPM, which is the so-called correspondent bank Russia used, sent the payment to Citigroup, which is acting as the payment agent. European bondholders of Russia's sovereign debt had reported They had not seen any sign of the funds as of late last night. And on the corporate front, PayPal says users will now be able to send money to Ukrainians, both still in the nation and those who have fled into other parts of Europe and the world. Previously, people in Ukraine were able to use the payments platform only to send money outside of the nation. 
All right, back now to your markets here. And what has been a pretty solid week around the Fed's much-anticipated liftoff on rates. And your next guest is bringing some names on this Opportunity Friday, as we like to call it here on Worldwide Exchange. That is Jeff Kilbert, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth and a CNBC contributor. Jeff, it's good to see you on nice and early on this Friday morning, my friend. You've been hot and heavy into the dividends, uh, more of the deep value stocks that has played well for you and your clients. Are you sticking by that strategy or does this week's fairly positive stock action change your mind in any way about how to invest right now? Well, so you're absolutely right. I am constructive. We look at the dividend-focused portfolio. But the points that you touched on, it's been a historic week. We finally have the Fed meeting in the rearview mirror. We are very focused on President Biden and President Xi conversation to continue that distancing away from Russia. That has been a, a relief in the marketplace. But what's interesting, Sully, for the first time, we have seen three consecutive 1% gains in the S&P 500. That's really relieved a lot of anxiety, has pushed the VIX down to about 26. And the, if you go back all the way to 1950, when you see three 1% gains in the marketplace, about 90% of the time, we do see the market move higher in that one-year return, Sully, on average is about 20%. So I do have some optimism. I do have some constructiveness, but we are focused, absolutely. Look at names like Chevron, Coca-Cola, Truist. It's a nice cross-section there. That dividend yield for those three portfolio throws three holdings on average are about three and a quarter percent. And we have seen a lot of risk mitigation when you own those dividend-focused names. So that is a tilt we are going to be moving forward with to close out the quarter. Yeah, I'm not going to call those names boring, but some of them may be considered a little bit boring, at least compared to some of the high-growth technology names, although Chevron has been trading like a tech stock, along with a lot of other energy names as of late. Is that kind of a sign, Jeff, of how you see the entire markets this year, which is just return of capital, get some capital appreciation if you can, get some dividends, get through 2022? Well, I think we have to digest the fact that it's really hard to take this myopic view. But inside of all this volatility, so we expected higher volatility. It's a midterm election year. But to your point, we are focused on sector rotation. We do understand that energy, industrials, financials, we have seen this shift from growth to value. So, yes, there's going to be volatility. It's not going to be a straight line. But I am optimistic. And I think we will see a lot of the returns. Historically speaking, going back 85 years, so all the returns in a midterm election year come right before that certainty of November. So I think it is going to be continued volatility. But there's a lot underneath the surface that has constructive tilts towards it. So we have earnings season coming up. Yes, we're focused on Ukraine. I'm not diminishing the humanitarian tragedy or the economic ramifications. But I do think right here, right now, this is the time after you see a 10% correction in the S&P 500, a 20% correction in the NASDAQ 100, you have to be selective. You have to be a stock picker. I know you're not a short-term trader, not not for sanctuary wealth, maybe for your own personal portfolio, Jeff, but I mean, it looks to me like in others that the market is trading inverse to oil. Oil up, stocks down, oil down, stocks up. Uh, what do you think of that relationship? And if so, how do you see that playing out in sort of the near and medium term? Well, it's a great point, Sully, and you know I've traded a ton of crude oil futures in my career. And when you see that correlation... Go to one. I think it really is important. So you have the opportunity to sell puts in some of these names when you do see a big drawdown. 
in the crude oil WTI futures, but also you have to take profits. When we saw crude oil go up to $130, we knew that was a knee-jerk reaction. We knew that was a speculative catching people off sides. So you have to absolutely be nimble, and you can utilize ETFs, futures, or options. We like using options. I personally like using options to define my risk. I want to understand what I potentially can lose, but also have that upside, that reward waiting for me. Jeff Kilberg, a man who has indeed traded a lot of oil back in the day, and we need that inside knowledge now. We're looking at Coca-Cola, Chevron, and some others as well. Jeff, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you soon. Have a Sorry, great day and a good you're weekend. You're the best. Good luck to your Hokies today, my friend. 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. You know where I will be, Jeff. Thank you. All right. We Thank have got you. a long way to go and a short time to get there. And when we come back, get ready for another booster as one drug maker looks to get the okay from the FDA for a fourth round of COVID vaccines. Plus, more lockdowns in China, creating new congestion in an already strained supply chain and adding to already intense inflation pressure. The recovery risk those problems pose. And then, Minnesota Vikings owner and president Mark Wilf just traveled to Ukraine to help refugees. He's here with what he saw and what he did on that trip Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, welcome back. Let's get now to some of this morning's top headlines, including some drama for DraftKings as March Madness tips off one of the busiest gambling times of the year. Silvana Hanau is here with the details on that and more of your key stories. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Brian. Happy Friday. Well, we'll start with Moderna because it's asking the FDA to authorize a second COVID booster shot for adults. The company is seeking approval for all adults, which is broader than Pfizer's earlier request this week to approve a second booster for seniors. Moderna saying its request was made to provide flexibility to the CDC in order to determine the best use of a second shot. Meanwhile, Disney still under fire for its response to Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. Sources telling CNBC that senior creative leaders at Disney Studios expressed their frustration to CEO Bob Chapek over his handling of the matter, specifically Disney's reluctance to take a firm stand against the legislation. Some employees have also organized a walkout for next week. And some March madness for DraftKings as the app experienced server issues during the first day of the NCAA tournament. The issues on the betting app occurred after a Gonzaga promotion offer. Brian, the issue was resolved about 20 minutes after the company's first announcement of a server error. 
but I bet there were some pretty frustrated gamblers. Well, you could bet that because other people <laughs> apparently either couldn't bet or couldn't see their bets, Silvana. That's why. Exactly. Stressful times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is March Madness. You can bet on everything from just the straight-up game, Silvana, to who scores the first basket, who the MVP it's, is. Yeah, it's, it's madness, the amount of betting you can do. <laughs> No, it, well, it is it is madness, and that's part of the fun, by the way. I think I went like 0-16 yesterday wow. or something. My red hot got, yeah, I, I was red hot. I got ice cold. <laughs> that's the fun of it, though. Savannah, we'll see it in is, a few. Thank is. you very much. All right, Brian. Is it, that's part of the fun, right? I mean, these, some of these upsets, and you're just like, where in the world did that team come from? All right. Still on deck. Your exclusive insider buying the top five stocks, getting the most money from their C-suite executives. Plus, the end of the Fed's easy money train bleeding over into housing with record low mortgage rates. Huh. A long bygone memory will tell you what just happened that has almost never happened in the past 10 years. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back. And though we certainly hope you're having a good Friday morning so far, I mean, we know it's just begun. We unfortunately have a little potential bad news for those of you out there looking to buy a home or refinance. Mortgage rates, they are surging. In fact, the rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is now back above 4% for the first time since 2019. At the beginning of the year, the average rate on that home loan was just over 3.2%. Bankrate.com has the rate pegged now at 4.46% nationwide. A huge jump. And while that may not seem that high historically, check out this random but interesting stat. Bespoke Investment Group points out that over the past 10 years, Mortgage rates have only been this high or higher 6% of the time. For a brief period in late 2018, early 2019, and before that, you got to go all the way back to 2013. It's going to be very interesting to watch how a red-hot housing market deals with this big move in mortgage rates and see where they ultimately end up. Well, meantime, inflationary pressures in the supply chain are mounting again. This is the world waits to see if China will lift the lockdowns in Shenzhen and restrictions in Shanghai, which are scheduled until Sunday. The IMF recently warned China should review its, quote, zero COVID measures, risk damaging the global recovery. These lockdowns in the past have proven to create congestion, which increases logistics prices and, by the way, doesn't seem to have any impact on how COVID does. CBC's senior editor, Lorianne LaRocco, is here to break down how much these slowdowns and stoppages have added to the cost of products over the last two years. It is, needless to say, Lorianne, I'll bet, a lot. 
It, it sure is, Brian. And especially with these two ports, a lot of people just hear a lot from us about it's electronics, but it's not. It's QVC. It's a key. It's Raymore and Flanagan. Even the Duracell batteries in your in your smart uh, remote control, so to speak. Uh, Shanghai and Yantian are two of the most uh, largest important ports for companies like Walmart, General Do Dollar General, Henry Schein, John Deere. Uh, Yantian has 25% of U.S. exports coming out of there for us. Shenzhen, 50%. And then when you're looking at Shanghai, they are 25%. So if you really look around your home right now, chances are a lot of that product, including the furniture that you're sitting on, came from either of those two ports. And when you're looking at the prices, you know, you hit on it. Congestion, it really is the driver here. Uh, according to Freightos, West Coast freight is up 209% year over year. East Coast prices are up a whopping 199%. And it doesn't stop there. Air freight just last week from Shanghai to the United States was up 42%. And you know who's going to pay that? You and I. Yeah, this is not something that's necessarily going to be borne by the company, and then we're not going to feel the impact. Hopefully it'll be split, uh, Lorianne, kind of along the supply chain. You know, everybody kind of takes a little piece. Uh, let's talk about something else, though. I want to talk about diesel, okay? We talk about oil all the time. Russian oil is tends to be kind of garbagey oil. It's, it's kind of thick. I mean, without getting into all the grades, a lot of it could be used for things like diesel. What are you hearing about that? Uh, and its impact on shipping costs, which is a massive part uh, of that business. Oh, sure. When you're talking about uh, the fuel that, that, that the uh, vessels use, uh, that price, and last time we were on, we talked about it, 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 is up, uh, it is up not at historic prices, but it is up. But when you're looking at the fuel entity of the entire supply chain, you go vessel, air freight, as well as, of course, the, the middle mile, last mile, first mile. It is all up. And so when you're looking at this, I spoke with Andy uh, Lipow, who says that he expects that we're not even at the peak yet. He's expecting it to peak at 520 and then eventually go down to about 490. But that means that you and I are going to be talking about it. And he's worried that FedEx, UPS and Amazon, they're going to have to offset these prices by what? Raising prices, which you and I are going to have to pay for. Yeah, I mean, really pretty incredible stuff here. Now, let's talk about China because these lockdowns, which, which China's been following this COVID zero policy for years, uh, it has, doesn't appear to have worked at all. In fact, Hong Kong is going through stuff that is just, it's got the worst outbreak, not only in the world, but maybe the, that the world has ever seen mm -hmm. uh, right now. But that said, the lockdowns and restrictions are set until Sunday. So talk to us about sort of the overall flow of trade you know once it stops then everything kind of gets backed up like you're trying to drain a sink that's clogged how have we seen the impact be on on global trade well the hairball as you pointed out is still pretty much tangled and when you're looking at uh what's going on with the flow of trade a lot of people just focus on the vessels it's more than that it's the drayage those are the truck drivers that are moving the product the warehouses that are moving the product uh, Marsk has has had their warehouse closed because of what's going on over uh, in the in the Shenzhen Yantian area. Um, it, it does slow things down. And what happens is the reduced trucking capacity uh, means that you cannot pick up empty containers. It means you cannot pick up product. 
Um, when it comes to the empty container, they, there has been some difficulty in picking those up. And I spoke with Shake, uh, Seiko Logistics, who says that, you know, it's hard because the warehouses are closed. So everything is this conundrum. And all of the logistics folks are looking at it for the for the impact of this week, because they were able to move the product that was already at the port. The question is, can they move whatever is left? And are they going to open on Sunday? Because you and I both know that can change. Yeah, it can change very, very quickly. Uh, Lorianne LaRocco, appreciate it. By the way, we've got the uh, the head of the port of uh, Los Angeles on Squawk Box coming up later on this hour. We'll talk to him more about that. Lorianne, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, still on deck. Maybe your outrage of the day, how members of Congress, many of whom are just still addicted to trading stocks, may be making a profit off everything that is going on right now, including Putin's war in Ukraine. Lon Moy has been following the story from the beginning, calling people out. She'll be here with that coming up. Stick around. Can stocks keep this week's mini rally going or will another oil spike send markets back down? Futures, they are lower. Putin's murderous war continues. Russia bombing more cities in Ukraine, killing innocent civilians and now potentially heading toward what has been a safe haven in the West. And we call them Opportunity Fridays here on WEX. Coming up, your exclusive insider buying segment, including... One CEO making her first ever buy of her own company's stock. It is Friday, March 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Friday morning. Just about 5.30 here in the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money and the markets look right now. We are seeing futures slightly down, although fair value a little bit is in the green, not making too much of it. No real clear direction. Futures off a little over triple digits on the Dow, a little more on the NASDAQ, maybe a half a percent. Four-tenths of 1% or so for the overall markets. We'll see how things go. It's been a pretty good week for stocks, by the way. In fact, the Dow's up 4.5%. The Nasdaq up nearly 6%. That is oil, at least until yesterday, was coming down. So let's take a look at oil now because it does appear that the equity markets are sort of trading inversely to stocks. Oil goes up, stocks go down. Oil goes down, stocks go up. Well, right now, unfortunately, the price of oil is higher, up by about three-quarters uh, of a dollar, about 70 cents to 103.69. You got supply down, demand is up, and we are seeing Brent crude in Europe back above $107 per barrel. All right, now let's get the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Reports surfacing of explosions and smoke being seen in northern parts of the capital of Kiev. In the meantime, the western city of Lviv's mayor reporting that several missiles hit an airplane maintenance plant in that city. And that is where we find NBC's news is Molly Hunter, who is in Lviv, which has been a safe haven for many citizens. It has been one of the only spots to get real reporting uh, from Molly and many others. And now it appears a city uh, where we are seeing uh, potentially some some action. Uh, what are you seeing on the ground, Molly? And are you and, and the entire NBC News crew safe? Brian, good morning to you. Uh, thanks for your concern. We are completely safe here. But that attack this morning was four and a half miles from the city center, four and a half miles from where I am. And according to the mayor, it hit a, a repair depot right next to the airport. So it did not hit the airport. Uh, the airport hasn't been operating, though, for the last uh, three and a half weeks. Now, we do have some additional information just now from the Ukrainian Air Force. It says Russian missiles hit the area near Lviv Airport. According to preliminary data, six cruise missiles were launched 
uh, they believe, from the Black Sea area. Two of those missiles uh, were destroyed on the way down. But we heard air raid sirens here where I am around 6.08 a.m. again at 6.25. Now we have colleagues, NBC colleagues, saying on the other side of the city who actually heard some, uh, some thuds, some explosions right after that first air raid siren. They did see smoke rising from the direction of the airport. We couldn't see it from where we are. Uh, but certainly the closest attack to the city that, as you mentioned, has been the safe haven. This is where uh, all the major NGOs are operating out of. This is where people flee from the east. And it's the departure point for anyone going out to the west to Europe to safety. It's also where hundreds of thousands of people have decided to possibly wait it out. IDPs, internally displaced people, Brian, who think that, you know, they've fled from Kharkiv, they've fled from Mariupol, from Kiev, and they don't want to leave the country. They want to stay here and see if they can maybe return home. I think that's going to start changing. Yeah, it's a scary situation there because that's been sort of the capital where also, like I said, folks like you and other members of the media have been reporting from. Uh, let's go, though, a little bit uh, further to the, to the east and to the south, and that is uh, the situation Mariupol as Russia continues to try to capture or at least destroy uh, this key city, which, by the way, uh, was one of the most beautiful cities in, in that part of the world being laid to rubble by Putin's madness. What can you tell us about what's happening there? Brian, that's right. We have spoken so much about this city under siege, a city of 450,000. According to the city council, 350,000 uh, people are still trapped inside. And it's interesting. Here in Lviv for the last three weeks or so, we haven't met anyone, uh, any refugees from Mariupol until last night. So these humanitarian corridors outside of Mariupol have failed every single day because uh, Russians have blocked humanitarian aid going in. Russians have shelled the humanitarian routes uh, for anyone getting out. Well, two days ago, uh, thousands of civilian cars, of private vehicles, started to make a convoy and get out of the city. Well, we met two women last night, Brian, who were in that first convoy of cars. These are the first testimonies that we have heard from civilians, and they described absolute hell. They lived in a basement for three weeks. They took, uh, cut down trees for firewood. They cooked outside in metal buckets. You know, they melted snow for water. These are people who survived absolute hell, and we are now just starting to hear their stories, and it's so important to understand what happens there. It sounds a little bit like London in the early 1940s as well. And I want to be clear, Molly, because our viewers can hear these sort of loud noises. I, I just texted, you know, our, one of our producers here and thought I heard jets. Those are trains. I want to because from our feed here, it sounded like there were fighter jets flying over you, but apparently they're just nearby trains. Yeah, that's right. So I'm in the kind of old city center. This is a beautiful city, Brian. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And there are beautiful old streetcars that go right behind our live shot. And look, it is really busy out here. We should also say that there's a split screen. Yes, there was an attack four and a half miles from here. But there are families out walking. There are people enjoying the very chilly but sunny day here. Um, and traffic is kind of rolling around as usual, Brian. All right. Well, for now, in a scary situation there, uh, Molly Hunter, we really appreciate you are there. And again, stay safe. Thank you to everybody, uh, Molly. We appreciate it. All right. Well, from Lviv, Ukraine to Capitol Hill here in America and a story that is sure to generate some outrage because some members of Congress may apparently be looking to make a profit off of war prior to Russia's invasion. Some elected officials, you know, the people's servants using the developments to snap up stocks that might benefit from conflict. Lon Moy joining us now with who was making trades right before this happened. Lana came and believe this is happening. 
Well, Brian, as you know, Brian spent the past uh, Congress spent the past few weeks debating economic sanctions, military assistance and billions of dollars in emergency spending to deal with this crisis in Ukraine. But for some lawmakers, it was also a trading opportunity. Our CNBC analysis of financial disclosures found that more than a dozen members reported trades, either their own or by their spouse or their child, in sectors that were directly affected by the war in Ukraine. That includes companies like Raytheon, Chevron, Occidental Petroleum, and CrowdStrike as well. Now, overall, CNBC estimates total activity at $7.7 million since February the 1st. The bulk of that was in energy and utility stocks. Second was cybersecurity, followed by defense. Now, GOP Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene ignited a firestorm when she tweeted this the day before Russia invaded. Quote, war and rumors of war is incredibly profitable and convenient. And she later disclosed that she had bought shares of Lockheed, Chevron and Next Era Energy a day earlier. Now, spokesman for Green said her investments are handled by an outside advisor and that she didn't even know about the trades until she read about it in the media. Now, he also emphasized that Lockheed is an American company and that stock is up about 11 percent since the day that she bought it. But this scenario is why many members are calling for a ban on congressional trading. We reached out to every lawmaker on our list and the ones who got back to us all said that they are not directly involved in managing their portfolios. And Brian, some even told us they support a ban on trading. Back to you. Okay, so they say they support a ban on trading. Where do we stand? Is there anything actually happening, you know, in Congress to ban stock trading by Congress? Yeah, so there have been a bunch of bills that have already been proposed, Brian, on this. The House was supposed to hold a hearing on that this week. That was postponed because the chairman of the committee actually got COVID. But ironically, some of this activity and some of this momentum has been delayed and postponed as well because of what is happening in Ukraine. That is taking up all of the oxygen here. But even as Congress sort of dilly-dallies on this issue, many members and their families are trading, buying, selling, and potentially making money. Yeah, I mean, Elon, I, I sort of only half joke. There's only three ways to get rich quickly in America. Number one, win the lottery. Number two, sell your company. Or number three, become an elected official. Because they all seem to just be addicted to stock trading. I mean, they all seem to get rich. Well, not, not all the trades ended up paying off. At least it seems that way. Brian, there were some that clearly uh, the stocks have gone up since they purchased them. Some lawmakers actually sold shares uh, that have sent in companies that have since seen higher prices. Uh, so, you know, it's unclear if they're actually better than the average yeah. Joe on Wall Street. It's okay. To, and, in, and investing, fine. Invest for the long term while you're in office, put it in a blind trust, and then you can do everything you want when you get out of office. Although we know. Many people never leave office. They're permanent millionaire lawmakers. It's not a bad way to make a living. Alon Moy, thank you very much. All right, you want to get rich, kids? Become a member of Congress. All right, coming up, the growing refugee crisis around Ukraine. More than two million fleeing the country, some with no place to go. And many women and children. Coming up, Minnesota Vikings owner and President Mark Wilf just returned from the border of Poland. And what he saw firsthand and how they are trying to help. Stick around.
All right, welcome back. Even as the world watches Putin's war, there is another growing tragedy, a refugee crisis in Poland and other countries bordering Ukraine. Women and children fleeing the war, many with no place to go. But many here are trying to help. The Jewish federations of North America raising $25 million to support those refugees. And they recently led a mission to the Polish-Ukrainian border to try to connect with the people on the ground. Joining us now is one of the leaders of that mission trip. He is Mark Wilf. He is the chair of the Board of Trustees of the Jewish Federation of North America and also the owner and president of the Minnesota Vikings. But it's no time to talk football, Mark. It's great to have you on. Uh, tell us what you saw on the ground there near the border of Ukraine. Well, Brian, thanks for having us on. As you mentioned, I went with the Jewish Federations of North America, and we're the backbone of the North American Jewish community, representing over 300 communities in the U.S. and Canada. And we raise funds for security and social services and, and benefiting the Jewish community and, and vulnerable populations. And we, we had the uh, uh, the privilege to go to, to go to the border town of Medica in Poland. And what I saw and witnessed with leaders from around the country, uh, thousands and thousands of refugees streaming in. We know millions are coming over and uh, truly a heartbreaking uh, thing to see. Uh, parents, families coming across Literally, their only possessions are in one shopping cart. Uh, really a heartbreaking thing. But uh, really, really what was impressive was the incredible amount of support and humanitarian aid that is beginning to show up there. And uh, volunteers, people that really care, trying to do their best to make a difference in a horrible situation. Where, Mark, are the people going? I mean, we're talking potentially more than a million people Coming into Poland, Poland is a fantastic country. I know they've, they've welcomed them with open arms, but you still need to have the resources and the infrastructure. You need the housing. You need the food. You need everything it takes to keep families warm and fed. Where, do, where are these people mostly ending up, at least in the short term? Well, they're ending up in all kinds of uh, uh, situations in terms of uh, housing that's being set up by the different organizations, such as our partners, the Jewish Agency for Israel, the Joint Distribution uh, Committee, and all the different uh, organizations on the ground trying to grab up housing where necessary to set up tents. Right on the border area, we saw tents with hundreds of children on cots. And uh, again, this is why we have to raise the money and uh, do what we can, governments, uh, charities, to do what, what everyone can to uh, do our part in a very difficult situation. So, again, this was the first major organized... And talk to us about... Sorry. No, no, my, my fault, Mark. There was a pause there. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, talk to us about the flow of money. Let's say our viewers right now, CNBC, they're watching. They want to help. I assume they can go to the Jewish Federations of North America website, but take us through the money supply chain. They make the donation... Uh, where does that money get allocated? What are the key needs right now? And are or close to, you know, 100 percent of the money donated? Is that going to those on the ground in need? Well, it's, it's JewishFederations.org. You can visit the U Ukraine donation page. And basically, uh, the funds are going for the needs, uh, medical needs, housing, uh, transportation. We saw hundreds of buses lining up uh, to process these people. And uh, again, to find them uh, the food the medical care that they need just to establish uh, their own situations and get stabilized and begin to think about next steps and where where they can reestablish their lives. So uh, this is donations that goes direct to the, the source, which is all the humanitarian aid on the ground that is needed. And again, the needs are overwhelming. 
And uh, no matter what happens in the political and military situation, uh, these needs are going to have to be dealt with long after the news and headlines go away. So uh, a lot of people's lives are truly uh, affected. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, if you had a chance to maybe speak with some of these folks, Mark, or not, but do they know where they're going to go? Are they, are they just kind of waiting it out and thinking, okay, when the war ends, hopefully soon we'll go back home? Uh, what are these people's plans longer term? Well, uh, you know, some are, are, are not clear. There's still a lot of, a lot of shock and, and, and pain there. Uh, some are going to resettle in Poland. Some of them have, might have relatives or people they know there or in Eastern Europe, but eventually they're going to go to different, hopefully, countries that will be able to open up their borders and say, we will welcome these refugees. I know, for instance, some of the, some of the uh, uh, refugees are, are settling, for instance, we're, we're making do to get them to Israel. And uh, the Jewish community there, we're doing our part, Jewish federations, to get them there. But the overall uh, situation, uh, they're going to go all over the world. But uh, Eastern Europe will take, uh, obviously, the uh, lion's share of those people. Mark Wolf with the Jewish Federation of North America doing some great work over there, calling out the need. Everybody can go to the, w- the website, uh, click on the Ukraine link as well to do their part to help send money to people who are Uh, literally and figuratively homeless and in great need of help. Mark, we appreciate your time. Uh, Appreciate the work that you did over there. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. You're very welcome. All right. On deck. Your exclusive weekly look at the biggest insider buys by corporate executives and one very unusual buy by a first-time buyer CEO. Plus, Morgan Stanley's Matthew Hornbach on the markets and why he said the Fed could get much more aggressive in what that means for your money. Stick around. All right, time now for one of our, and hopefully your, favorite segments of the week, and that is the weekly Insider Buys, where we highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by their C-suite level execs with their own money. And as always, the data comes with our thanks from Insider Score Verity Platform. And as always, we are counting you down five to one. You ready? I am. Let's go. Fifth most insider buying this week is Ball Corporation, a $601,000 insider buy by the president. By the way, that adds to a buy he made last November. So being aggressive on Ball. Number four is Avid Exchange Holdings, AVDX, the ticker. $693,000 buy by the CEO. By the way, the first insider buy at the company since their IPO last fall. Number three, Ambarella, a $1.01 million buy by a board member and the first ever insider buy in almost 10 years at AMBA. Stock number two, this is interesting, U.S. Foods, a just over $1 million buy also by the chairman. But two other board members also bought at the company. Now, this is a company that's in a proxy fight with a hedge fund that wants to replace the board. So this is one to watch. The board is buying, even as a hedge fund is trying to replace the board. And the most insider buying this week is at Cody, a $2.5 million buy by CEO Sunabi. That is her first ever buy as CEO. And insider score Verity notes, this is interesting because Nabi got a $30 million restricted stock award when she joined. So she is going above and beyond that. This is not that. So she's got $30 million restricted, and now with her own money, layering on another $2.5 million. By the way, it's also the fourth 
insider buy at Cody in the past year. Cody, a name to watch. There you go. Top five, Ball, Avid Exchange, Umbrella, not Umbrella, U.S. Foods and Cody. And a reminder, outside of the few weeks of earnings season, we try to do this every Friday for you. And it's a segment you will either only see here on WEX or get on CNBC Pro. By the way, if you're not a member of CNBC Pro, sign up today. All right, let's get back down to the markets. Coming off pretty nice three-day rally as oil prices fell, at least until yesterday. Let's talk about what this all might mean with Matthew Hornbach, Global Head of Macro Strategy at Morgan Stanley. And Matthew, I can only imagine what it's like to be a macro strategist right now because how much of the world is, is simply unknown at this point? Well, thanks for having me on the program, Brian. Uh, there's quite a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace uh, these days. That's why we're seeing volatility that we haven't seen since, um, you know, the, the middle of 2020, uh, both in the interest rate market as well as in the commodity complex. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of volatility, and that reflects the uncertainty that most investors have. Yeah, and it kind of brings to question the Federal Reserve because I've asked this to many guests, Matthew. If we're told that inflation is largely a result of the war, it is partly a result, how much we can all debate. Uh, but if it is a part of the war and the sanctions on Russia, then what is the Fed going to be able to do about that other than bringing down macro demand, which leads us kind of to the R word, recession? Uh, do you see a recession in maybe mid next year? Well, Brian, our economists don't see a recession. And in fact, you know, we think that the yield curve, which many people look at as a harbinger for recession, uh, is not sending a very clear signal here because of all the liquidity that central banks have put into the marketplace over the course of the past two years. In fact, I think one of the reasons why demand is as strong as it is because central banks have done a great job lowering interest rates, putting liquidity into the market, really trying to get us out of the recession that we were in in 2020. And they did a spectacular job of that. The problem is the supply side of the global economy didn't keep up. And so you've got a mismatch now. So I'd say the inflationary environment uh, is in part a consequence of the supply chain issues that we've been dealing with. But there is a demand component yeah. here, and that's something that the Federal Reserve can try to address over the coming uh, quarters. That's uh, that's half the equation. Thank you. Nobody talks about demand except for maybe you, Matthew, and that is such a huge part of it. But you wonder when we have that, that so-called demand destruction, when people are paying you know, six bucks for a cup of coffee. All right, it's Opportunity Fridays here. What do we do? Give our viewers uh, in 30 seconds, uh, your, thank you, uh, some uh, strategy advice. What do they buy? What do they own right now? Well, well, Brian, what we're telling investors to do broadly is to avoid the government bond market if they can. Uh, we don't think there's a lot of value in government bonds these days. But if you have to own some, you know, we're suggesting owning the longer maturities of the interest rate curve. So we like curve flatteners, Brian. We think that the yield curve is going to keep flattening as the Fed raises interest rates. Mm -hmm. uh, but broadly speaking, we don't like interest rate markets here. Uh, and then finally, dollars. Yeah. We, we like dollars. You like, you want to hold dollars. You don't like government bonds. We understand that. Commodities, one to watch. Uh, not sure how you're doing your job these days, Matthew, but good luck to you. And we appreciate you coming on. A lot of so many unknowns. All right, take care.
All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange on a Friday. If you're leaving now, we'll see you on Monday. But don't go anywhere because Squawk is next. I'll be sitting alongside Joe. We'll have a great three hours, a lot to get through. Futures, they're down. Oil, it's up. And I'll be back right after this short break. Stick around. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.